Blog Talk Radio. There, Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine, with another edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students, and uh, we've been a little bit off-kilt on this program so far this year, and I take full responsibility. It's my travel schedule that's been getting in the way, but finally, we are back on track here on the first Monday of the month of December 2014. And so far, I have two of our panelists along with me. We have Carol. How are you today? Calling from British Columbia. Fabulous today. Good. And we have Susan also calling in from BC. How are you? Great. It's a gorgeous day out here in BC, or at least in Vancouver. I'm delighted to hear that. And we have one of our principals from Maine, but I never know which one. Is this Tom or Nina? It's Tom. Hi, Tom. Hi, Tom. How Tom. are you? I'm great. How's everyone doing today? Good. We are having a Good. splendid weather day here in Portland, Maine. It is in the 50s. And um, a lot of the snow that we got last week that disrupted some Thanksgiving travel uh, has now begun to melt, at least temporarily. Um, how are you all doing? Good. We're down to the countdown to Christmas vacation, so it's always good. Yeah. That That is always good. Um, Tom, has is there enough snow for you to have been out there boarding yet? I've already got 10 days in this year. <gasps> for God's oh. sake. I'm moving to Vancouver, British Columbia. Whenever you all need a principal, just call me. I'm there. I think we will. Oh, my goodness. 10 days. It's like my oh, dream lucky. to live in B.C. That would be like the ultimate place for me to live. Yeah. yeah. Well, Beautiful out <laughs> there. Amazing Don't resort. we try not to tell everybody how awesome it is because you know how oh, it is. It is. <laughs> it is very similar to Maine in the sense that we don't want anyone to know. So nix that. Right. It's only well, good for snowboarders. <laughs> there we go. Um, I'm surprised that there's been snow that up here yet that has justified ten days. But um, Tom, perhaps you can board on rocks, given how enthusiastic uh, you are about it. Yes, but no, there's been a lot of snow making at the mountains. It's really beautiful up there, um, and plus the fresh snow that came in. I, five of those days were the last five days. So, nice. You know. Excellent. And um, how much snow is there on Whistler at this point up in B.C.? Oh, there's not enough to ski good. out yet, but they did yeah. get a lot last week. Um, mm. but there's snow making like crazy so that we can ski out at the bottom, but yeah. Not on well, our local mountains, though, Carol, right? Nothing there yet. Not quite enough. A couple of them I think we're opening up uh, like in a week or two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it is gorgeous and, and sunny here. I'm glad. We're having a beautiful day here in Maine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask this. Do any of you have any updates on what's going on in your buildings? It's been about a month and a half since we last did this, and that's totally my fault. But... Um, 
Anybody have any updates before we jump into the emails that have piled up since we last did this? <laughs> Can I ask a, a question? Would that be all right? Of course. So uh, we have a student at the school who has come directly from Pakistan, and he has uh, witnessed his grandfather um, being murdered by terrorists, or his own dad died about three months later. So he's dealing with a lot of trauma. They came straight from Pakistan here in the middle of, well, sort of middle of September, just as school was starting here. And I'm wondering about trauma and starting CPS. Do we deal with the trauma first, or do we kind of do it together? Well, I want to let you all know that Nina has now joined us. Nina, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Sorry it's late. And Susan, I think you'd get different opinions on that. Okay. Um, One of the things I would say with uh, great definition is that um, you're going to get a lot of information from the kid about Mm -hmm. the trauma through use of the drilling strategies that would be part of the empathy step of Plan B. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I would say it's totally a judgment call. Um, the If you believe, and you'd have to find this out from the kid, of course, but if you believe that the trauma is um, all-pervasive and affecting all of the other different expectations that the kid is having difficulty meeting, then it might make sense to start by talking about the trauma first. However, I wouldn't jump to that assumption. And while it sounds awful to have witnessed what this young child has witnessed, something Mm -hmm. many of us can't comprehend, Um, although there are people in North America who can comprehend it, but it's incomprehensible no matter where one lives. Um, I don't make any assumptions about the degree to which witnessing that is affecting the kid's life until I have either um, observational data telling me that it's so And, of course, observational data is a bit subjective. We all wear lenses. Mm -hmm. But the person who I always say I would rely on the most for that, and and not just as relates to trauma, but for virtually everything, is the kid himself. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think there's a hard and fast algorithm for making that decision, nor does talking about one mean that you wouldn't be talking about the other, it's really kind of a judgment call. But the person who I'd want to hear it from the most in terms of the effect of that experience on his or her life and Mm -hmm. his or her ability to meet expectations in our building is the kid. Okay. I I sometimes tell the following story. During one of my uh, trainings last summer, I had, and it's a training that often attracts people who are analytically trained. And that's not disparaging people who are analytically trained. It's just that many people who are analytically trained are trained to interpret um, what another person is saying. And this 
gentleman who was a participant in my training was making a lot of funny faces as he was hearing about CPS in the first three or four days, and he finally asked the question. He, he Actually, it was a statement. He said, so you have more faith in what we hear from the kid than you do in adult interpretations of what's going on with the kid. And my answer was, I couldn't have said it any better myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think it's great that adults have interpretations and that adults, because they are concerned, want to understand what's going on with a kid. But I think the best person to tell you about his or her experience of that very horrible event is the kid. Okay. That's what I've been doing, but then I kind of went, yikes, maybe I'm doing it backwards, but I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. I just don't think there's a hard and fast algorithm. I'd love to hear what some of the rest of you think on that. Well, Ross, you talked about um, at the conference uh, a few weeks ago, you, you talked about that very same experience and thought it was really interesting because, you know, if you, if, you, if you try to follow the basic idea that you don't, you know, to do no harm, I can't understand why there'd be any harm in listening and clarifying someone's concerns or perspectives, especially in the initial relationship building phase that could only feel validating to the child that experienced that horrible, I mean, I just have to fight back mm -hmm. the tears just hearing that story. It's just yeah, awful. Yeah, and, and he was, he, um... He, he does visit me uh, very often in my office, which I've invited him to do at any time. And he, um, yeah, he was quite willing to talk about things that were bothering him and the difference between living here in Canada and living there, which was very interesting for me to hear. So, um, What yeah. did you hear about that? Well, he, he's, he's really struggling with kids here at school with his behavior because he believes that everybody should just respect him for who he is because he's come from Pakistan and Pakistan is better than anywhere and the kids should just respect him. And he doesn't understand why the kids don't want to play with him or because he gets quite angry very quickly. And if, if the child says, well, no, I don't want to play that right now, I can play it later, he'll be aggressive. And so that's what we've been dealing with. And I thought the mother actually, because I've had her in many times as well, explained it the the best way that I've heard it, and I know I told Carol this, she said, in Pakistan, you give people 5% of your respect when you meet them, and then they have to earn 95% of your respect. But in Canada, what she's found is everybody gives you 95% respect right off the bat, and you just have to earn the, the last five. And I thought, wow, I never thought of it that way, but that's how her son feels. These kids need to earn his respect. So that's that's what I'm, you know, struggling with right now with him, on how to get past that, so he can make some friends. That's fascinating. Very interesting. That's so yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's it's unique for me. I I've not had to deal with anything quite like it. Um, well, it sounds like you're doing a great job of hearing his concerns and perspective around the culture piece, and it sounds like he also has the skills to articulate it. Mm -hmm. is, you would know it. Yeah. The other piece is that he witnessed his mom being abused 
by the grandfather and by the dad. So that's another piece on top of it. So he has absolutely no respect for the mom. So that's why the mom's in seeing me as well. So I'm basically doing plan B with her and and with him, but at different times, which is interesting for me. Um, Yeah, it's just a very, very unique situation. Isn't it interesting? Um, I mean, this is a good example of why we shouldn't assume I was sitting here thinking that what you were going to say is that he's a whole lot more relaxed in Canada because he doesn't have people shooting at him and he doesn't have to worry about people blowing themselves up near him. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not what he said at all. Just another no. great example of why it's important to get it from the horse's mouth. You know, it was interesting because uh, on the announcements, and I know Carol does this too, but we do the we sing O Canada once a week on Monday mornings, and I had talked about how lucky we are to be living in Canada. It's such a beautiful country, yada, 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 you know, to please stand and sing. Well, he came to see me after that, and he said, why am I lucky to be living here? And I don't know. He takes That's everything very ser- very literally for you. He does, because he, he's not feeling very lucky, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. So we had a big conversation about that, about why I felt it, but this was just my perspective. And then we talked about him and what he loved about living in Pakistan and what was different for him. So it's really uh, interesting for me. It's very, as I said, unique. It's just interesting. Yeah. Well, and he gets to own his perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, he may never think it's better to live in Canada than in Pakistan, but he might be able to tell us a little bit more about what he means by respect and yeah. um how you know if how you know if you have somebody's respect and mm-hmm. the differences in how you go about earning it um from one country to another mm-hmm. um, very interesting yeah i thought the mum's perspective was just like it was just like a light bulb went off for me i i had never ever thought of it that way before so it was interesting I just wonder what he means by respect. Um, I mean, I, it's another example of how I thought to myself, well, I think I know what he's talking about, but I no longer feel any pressure to think that I understand what somebody means. It's always mm-hmm. a whole lot easier just to ask them. And respect can mean so many different things, uh, not only to so many different peoples, but across cultures that I'd be very interested in seeing if he could operationalize respect for us just so we know exactly what we're talking about. Maybe he has already for you. He has, actually. I've I've asked him that, well, what does respect look like for you? And he said, well, they have to do what I want them to do. And, uh, oh, my. He's very, 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 um, mm. his English is awesome. Like, it's it's amazing how well he speaks. And he just said that they have to do what I want them to do, that I... I'm the one in control, and it was just, uh, like, honestly, it it took all of me for my jaw not to drop while he was telling me, but that's his belief, because that's what his dad and his grandpa, that's how they, that's what he said. You obey. Yeah, obey, thank you, that his his, uh, father and his grandfather, that's how they expected people to treat them. And it's interesting because the mother said exactly the same thing and she was not in the room with him when he was talking to me. So does she does she require the same um um compliance to have respect? Does she does she expect that of him for her? 
Uh, no, she doesn't. She is um, this really gentle person who's who's. I don't know if she's just that way with me because I can't. I don't know what she's like the rest of the time, but she uh, loves being here and she loves. She gives everybody respect. Like she just. That's who she is, and she doesn't understand why her son is like this. And then she'll say in the next breath, but I do understand because that's the life he led. And he's only nine, so it's it's mm-hmm. it's 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 very interesting. That was my. I was going to ask you how old he was because it, that mm-hmm. gives you. I mean, I I just can kind of feel it in the air. I I love it when I have the rare and very special opportunity to see Ross work with someone because when I have. Um, mm-hmm. you can feel in the air that he's curious about mm-hmm. people and their perspective and that he has totally shelved his perspective at least through my perception or another person's perception. I'm sure he's having thoughts, but it's not like uh, public through his nonverbal communication. I know that's a really complicated way to say he's not showing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's hard to vo- verbalize, but but I could kind of hear it happening just here that, that Ross had an idea and he's really curious Mm-hmm. about this kid in his world. And I have to say that it's taken a long time. I think that that for educators, teachers in particular, that's a very hard thing to do to get to the point where you're actually curious because typically when a teacher sits down with a kid, they're frustrated at that point. Even if they've had the 24 to 48 hour cool down period and you're working on solving problems proactively, I have to admit even for me, with all the work that I've done with this, I still sometimes have to remind myself and it's something that I've had to work on for a long time is to be curious and non judgmental. I mean it's just you know, he, he's to, lucky. And I'm sorry, he's lucky he's no, with a teacher who is very good. Like she's um, a master mm. teacher. But he spit in a girl's face last week and oh my goodness, I thought the teacher was just going to yep. rip him apart. And uh, <clears throat> that has to be one of the worst things for me. Like it's just the worst. And so <clears throat> dealing through that was tough. Yeah. Anyways, that was just another kind of added thing. But you know, you've given us an interesting hint here. I don't. I don't like to jump to conclusions, but mm-hmm. according to his mother, um, everybody, him, respect to him, meaning people do what he says, is mm-hmm. cultural. And that's one hint. Once again, I'd want it from the horse's mouth, but that's one hint that that stance he's taking is not necessarily related to the trauma. Now, you know, there's much more to hear from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, But that's one little hint that we have. She didn't say it's because he witnessed what he witnessed. She said that's the way everybody is where he comes from. And then, so that's interesting. She's not, she's not thinking that this is a... Um, you know, byproduct of the trauma. Mm-hmm. But here's the other thing that's very interesting. If everybody thinks that respect means that everybody else is going to do what they say, and that's everybody's definition of respect, then it's going to get ugly pretty quickly because mm-hmm. everybody's thinking that everybody else has to do what they say, which means everybody's telling everybody what they got to do and expecting them to do it. Um, and boy, they're feeling frustrated that's, when everyone else isn't obeying them. And yeah. feeling disrespected <laughs> and feeling that they exactly. must do certain things to earn that respect. And, um, boy, that 
sounds like a bit of a mess to me. I'm sure that there are many people from Pakistan who would say that that's not their culture at all, but I don't know enough about the Pakistani culture to know um, whether the mother's depiction of her son's experience of that culture is accurate or not. But boy, talk about the definition of a mess, everybody expecting everybody else to do what they say. Um, Boy, that can't go well. Yeah, agreed. And I was wondering too, Ross, um, just along that line, I I had to work a little bit at it, but I wanted to get curious about his perception of the culture. I have a nine-year-old son, so I'm not, I I shouldn't, well, I guess what I'm saying is that he has his perception of the world around him, and it's not always congruent with my perception of the world around us. And and I'd like to know, I would like to explore with this child, I'd like to ask some clarifying questions and dig a lot about his perception of the culture versus situations that occurred. Um, I would just want a lot of information. I would want to listen a lot and, and really mm-hmm. try to find creative ways to get him to express things, like draw things, write about things, whatever it is that it takes to get more information about um, his perception of of that piece of the culture around respect coming from you know you do what i say i'd want to really go deep with that and find out a lot but that's i'm really curious at this point that's a that's a good idea i'm writing notes actually to tell you guys well sorry boy well he, he asked if from, he, he wanted to hear my feedback um all i can say is susan you got me curious um <laughs> And yeah. and so you know I I can't I couldn't begin to think of all the information I'd want to be gathering from this kid about um, not only his definition of respect but also how he feels he came by it. Um, so Tom, as you were saying, it doesn't take much at all for me to be curious. Um, for me, doing the CPS model well starts with being really curious about what's going on inside the kid's head, what I've begun calling inside information. And um <laughs> that's great. You know, yeah. th- th- this one has me even more curious than others um just because of what this kid has been through and just because um I'd have to be working hard to battle my own assumptions about the meaning of what this kid has been through so as to keep myself totally free and clear so as to hear what he had to say, ask a good next question based on what he's saying rather than based on my assumptions. One of the things I've been saying a lot lately during my talks is that I'm trying to live an assumption-free life these days. And I'm finding that, um, you know, whenever an assumption pops into my head, I try to get rid of it as quickly as possible because, number one, it's usually wrong, and number two, I'm not going to find out whether it's right or wrong unless I'm drilling well, and drilling well means uh, drilling without assumptions so that you're basing your next question on not only not on your theory about what's going on with the kid, but instead on whatever he said last so that you're asking the next good question based on what you just heard. And um boy, I got to tell you living assumption free living is uh very freeing. 
because all you got to do is go on what you're hearing and ask the next good question. So, Tom, my answer to your question is uh, Susan's got me just as curious as I can be, but that's my <laughs> usual state of mind. Yeah. I am as well. I am very curious. Yeah. So it's good. Thank you. But at the very least, one. it does sound like this young lad um, is going to be a project, mm-hmm. and that um, while many of us North Americans might think to ourselves, "How can he think it's better in Pakistan?" I mean, it's, he's in he's in Canada now. He's in the United States now. This is as good as it gets. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. What he's letting us know is, uh, I do not share your perception. And now he's got me really curious. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Good luck with it. Um, Anybody else want to give us an update on what's going on in their buildings or an interesting story or whatever? Well, I was um, wondering if I could get a bit of feedback on some LSEPs that we've been doing. Um, I've uh, been using the LSEP as part of our school-based team process when there's children with primarily behavioral concerns being brought up. And last week we had some kindergarten students, and so I always have a little bit of an internal debate about, uh, you know, what's developmentally appropriate expectations for children who are just five going on six years old um, that are in a full-day kindergarten program for a lot of them for the first time in their life being in a structured environment. But that being said, um, I found with both of these uh, boys, um, when we were going through the unsolved problems, um, we filled up the charts. (laughs) Like each of them (laughs) filled up the charts. And normally when I've been doing LSEPs with, you know, some older students, you might have three, four, maybe five unsolved problems, but these just kept going and going and going. And so... um, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to get some feedback on whether that's kind of typical with with younger students. I mean, the the problems aren't. Um, you know, some of them are physical in terms of you know um, one little guy that. So, for example, the unsolved problem that we decided to prioritize was difficulty noticing when his friends have had enough of his physical play. So he likes to play Spider-Man and uh, very physical things like that. Um, and when a friend tells him to stop, then he um, punches them or kicks them because he doesn't like being told to stop. But he's not getting those cues before the person actually says, no, stop, that they're kind of not having fun. Um, So obviously there's some safety concerns, and some of the parents have been, uh, you know, contacting the teacher because their kids are coming home saying that they're afraid of this student and, um, you know, not wanting to play with him. You know, but of course they're also fairly empathetic and saying, you know, I know they're just young, but my child's afraid to come to school. So, just you know, what experiences have have uh, maybe Susan and Tom and Nina? What have you had with, the, you know, kindergarten age or grade one um, in terms of the number of unsolved problems that you tend to have when you start digging into their, into their behavior? Oh, she's prepping me for the Ross Tom conversation. <laughs> that, that, that has to be one of my favorites. Well, that was definitely we a joke. I'm glad you all got left it. in the program, so, and that's right around <laughs> when we get this ball rolling here. Right, right. I'm going to plan. I'm going to plan see this one until the next radio program. No, go ahead, Tom. It's always fun to end the program that way. Yeah, no, 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 no. I want to hear what Nina says. I'm, I'm taking the plan seat for real. Uh oh. Uh. Well, I would say I think that in my experience, absolutely on the LSEP with the younger students, 
we tend to have more unsolved problems, and maybe that's just developmentally because if one of their lagging skills is you know, not being impulsive or whatever the lagging skill might be, yep. I think it just it's affects more. One. Yeah, I think it affects um, – I it gets in the way more and they end up having more unsolved problems. But maybe it's because at our school it's those are our newer students and we're just getting into solving problems and by the time they get to first, second and third I feel like we've been we've been able to solve problems so they get less and, and they've less. developed so I think that's my Right. And I think when they're younger, um it just it it might look like you know it might on the scale of looking bad it's kind of on that other end just because of their age and that impulsivity and their hands on anyway. So I think that is in my experience that we do have more and you can fill up a whole page of lagging <laughs> skills and it it doesn't mean that it won't they won't diminish and that you'll be able to you'll still be able to solve those problems. Um you know, especially if I look at LSEPs from if we multiple ones, definitely you can see the progression of things getting solved and liking skills becoming uh you know, they're able to practice them and solve problems through plan B and definitely have vast improvement. So I think I think that is my experience as well. You know, I I, I would say we go back to that whole thing of my favorite Ross inspired saying is uh solve one or you solve none. Right. So whenever right. I look at, and you know, it's funny, I, in the same way that Ross is working on going into situations without, um, I guess, would bias be the correct word, Ross, or an assumption? Yep. Yep, so so I'm working <laughs> on uh, not letting things, like anything, overwhelm me ever. Like, I don't care what it is. If I'm starting to feel overwhelmed, I'm like, oh, can only fix it one thing at a time. Let's get started. Yep. Yeah. Well, that takes that's the pressure my, off my, hugely. Yeah, yeah you, the, I work with kindergarten. You know, when you work with kindergarten, do you have a kindergarten voice? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, everybody, yeah. let's go. Yeah. You know, so I yeah. kind of use my kindergarten voice and just say, okay, guys, we're going to get all of this ski gear and all this crap in the car in 30 seconds. We don't, but I take one thing at a time. And I, I think that if you look at a lit up ALSIP, what I call a lit up ALSIP, I like yeah. that. you have to choose one and solve it and then transfer. Right. So you got to go for. Right. Sometimes it's better to go for something small and build some ground. Sometimes it's better to go for something big and hope that other things start to improve just as a result of solving the big one. You have to know the kid to make those decisions, but it that that's never developmentally. It, it's the same conversation as should we expect students to have a certain level of writing or reading by the end of kindergarten? Is that developmentally right. appropriate? And my first answer right. to that right. question is I don't know the kid. Is right. it developmentally? Right. For, we work in the zone of proximal development for all children, behavioral or academic. And yep. so, if the kid needs to grow here in their reading, that's what we do. That's right. developmentally appropriate. Developmentally inappropriate is when we lower our expectations because of their age, because adults don't have the skills to handle a kid. Oh yeah. Did, did, did that make yeah. sense? That's a loaded. Nice. No, I, I I actually wrote just wrote down the ZPD because I think that's an important thing for for people to remember. Like we're meeting kids where they are, just as we do with them academically and moving them forward. So, but you know, it's, what frustrates teachers and what kind of freaks them out a little bit is when, you know, when they are getting multiple emails from various parents saying, you know, this child, and they start to take responsibility for it and say, right. I must not be doing my job because I'm letting I'm putting these kids in danger, and and what am I doing, and am I doing enough, and am I protecting them, and you know, right. they kind of get into a bit of a spin cycle. But 
then when we do the LSAT, they kind of they see all these problems being listed and they just go, oh my gosh, that's so much. This kid's lacking so many skills and they have so many unsolved problems. But I really appreciate just that reminder of, you know, just start with one. Just like if your students are lacking all kinds of literacy skills, you start with yep. one, start to work on it. Yep. You know, you're encouraging, you're patient, you're supportive, and you just keep going. Yeah. And that pressure is, when teachers feel the pressure of other parents, it is very stressful. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. But just acknowledging that, that that's, you know, that they are making they're making progress, they're solving problems, and, and those other the parents just want to know that, you know, that teachers are aware, that or the administration is aware, and in my experience, talking about that and saying you are aware and there is a plan and everyone has a plan, it definitely makes everyone feel better. Yeah. That there's some, and they see improvement, and you can point, you know, parents can see that that children are making improvement with the model. Right. You know, one of the, uh, I have a few thoughts about this. The first is that um, a very nice part of the whole prioritizing process and a very nice part of thinking about the expectations a kid is having difficulty meeting is simultaneously thinking about whether a given expectation is realistic for that kid at this point in that kid's development. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a very, it's a crucial part of it. I don't actually talk about it that much, but deciding whether an expectation is realistic or not is really a very crucial part of the process. The interesting thing is this. I think if I'm understanding what all of you are saying correctly, my experience has been slightly different. I find that the older kids have longer lists of unsolved problems um, mostly because I would, I would, my, my bet is that that's because of two things. Number one, a lot of the older kids I work with have been behaviorally challenging for a very long time, and that means that a lot of their earlier unsolved problems remained unsolved, and because the demands of the environment simply increased over time, the pile of unsolved problems just got bigger and bigger. But I also find, and this is probably also related, that Uh, teachers of younger kids are much more sensitive to developmental variability Mm -hmm. than a lot of teachers of older kids. And I hate, you know, saying anything about that's going to be true always of teachers of younger kids and teachers of Mm -hmm. older kids. But as a general trend, I find that the people who are teaching younger kids are more sensitive to it and more forgiving about it and and maybe even more willing to think about whether a particular expectation is truly realistic for a given kid. But I've had the exact opposite experience. My experience is that the younger kids have smaller lists of unsolved problems, and the older kids are the ones who have the bigger lists. Um, who knows? I guess it's pretty much individualized, but that's been my general experience. Well, well I think that I just want to I feel bad because I've had a lot to say today, but this is really, I think, a very important thing, having worked myself at the middle, high school, and lower elementary levels, which is somewhat unusual for a professional, you know, to, to work all those different levels in a 14-year in a period or whatever. I, I think that it's really important to remember that, that your generalization is fair about teachers in the sense that a lot of times teachers from grades 6 or 7 until 12 got into teaching to teach content whereas teachers organically from grades pre-K to 6 or so generally get into teaching for to teach the kid. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that exactly. the, the, the really interesting thing is that having worked at the high school level, I always found that the at-risk kids did best with the teachers at the high school level who were there to teach the kid, not the content. Yeah. And they were often looked at by their peers as a weaker teacher on the academic team, but were always looked at from guidance as somebody that the kid would be safe with and would learn and engage in school. So I yeah. do think mm-hmm. that, that there is, um, and again, there are teachers who can be perceived as being, quote, academic, and there are teachers who are, can be perceived as being about teaching the kid who are highly academic. What I look for as an educational leader, a principal, just as a person for my own children, is somebody who does both well, because it is totally possible to do both incredibly well. I agree. So can I ask a question, because we haven't had enough controversy on the program yet. (laughs) I don't plead the fifth, I plead the C. No, I, I actually I don't I don't know if I don't know if this will cause controversy because we all may actually agree, but Tom, as you were talking about the potential differences between secondary teachers and elementary teachers, and that elementary teachers got into the business to teach kids and secondary teachers got into the business to teach content, what occurred to me is that because of high stakes testing, have we um caused even elementary teachers to begun to begin teaching primarily in the direction of content absolutely and hasn't that, that been an awful development yes yep yeah i think it's putting way way more pressure on teachers another reason to move to british columbia <laughs> yes <laughs> oh, oh it just got going, a lot sweeter we're do- we're doing. We're away going with, the other direction. We're going in the other um, direction, but we yep. still are hanging on to a couple that are. But social emotional learning and personal mm-hmm. identity and cultural identity and, um, you know, personal competencies are taking a much higher profile in our curriculum that's being uh, transformed and revamped right now. Um, so it's it's actually content is the last actual least emphasized part of the curriculum, whereas. Um, competencies and personal char- personal qualities and characteristics are being emphasized. Yay! This is getting the teachers to That's think that great. way. Great. Uh, you guys, you guys are going to fall way behind. See here, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> See, you let me know how that goes five can, years from now. Oh, I can I can feel your nation just starting to lag. Here's here's what we do in the United <laughs> States. Tom and Nina, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, can you do you guys feel it that you are just dropping way back in the pack here? The what we do in the United States is we don't think about changing our emphasis on high stakes testing. We we could we you know we can't give that up. We just change what it is that we're going to be testing on every three or four years just to keep life interesting. Tom and Nina, do I have that right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, we're, just to be clear, we're way though, ahead. Sorry, but, go ahead. But I do think it's important to recognize that I have a, a kind of a, a duality with this thing because I've seen kids um, also, conversely, struggle and be disengaged from school because of a lack of academic engagement through activities that are really highly structured in a, in a very creative way. So in other words, what I'm saying is if you get a really bright kid who's bored, that's also bad. Does that make right. sense? Like, hey. It's got to be like 
there's a balance um, here, and, and I think that in order to try to balance things, we keep talking in, in the United States about the pendulum of education swinging to be either social and emotional or academic, and I'm saying that's like saying nature versus nurture. That's an archaic concept. It's nature right. and nurture. Have, well, why we would it be academic day. and developmental? Right. It just um, today we had a wonderful consultant that we've worked with come talk to us about. Um, he's writing a new book and just reminded me so much of your work, Ross. About he, he's calling it "Challenge Through Choice," and it's all about the um, differentiating, but giving the children much more power and trusting trusting children that they they do want to learn and that they want to be in their just right zone of proximal development, and that. If they're too, if it's too hard or too easy, that is where the fight or you know the fight or flight comes. But that it's more not teacher directive, it's child directive, and you know that that trust instead of saying differentiation is a thing that you do, it's it's giving the children that power and trust that they want to learn and that they are going to choose the academic um, activities that stretch them or meet their needs. So it's really interesting, but I think it is both for sure. Well, and for me, it's not uh, – I, Tom, I know what you mean, that this debate goes on like it's got to be one or the other. But practical guy that I am, I'm not sure I see how high-stakes testing relates to either. you got a kid yeah. who's bored because the Definitely. content's not up to his – you know, what he needs. High-stakes testing won't fix that. you got a kid who's not quite making it. Uh, High-stakes testing is not going to fix that. So that's the interesting thing. We are so obsessed with high-stakes testing, but all high-stakes testing really does is hold people to a standard. Right. You agree? It doesn't connect with anything that we're talking about. Yes. I would agree like, with that. And I think it is important, important to clarify the difference between assessing a student for annual growth or catch-up growth or more than annual growth that's way more important than standardized testing because annual growth, or which we would consider to be a year's growth in any area, including behavior, or um, standardized testing are two di very different things because just because we say that the benchmark at the end of second grade is X, if the students made more than a year's growth in a year's time, what more do you expect? They're working in their zone of proximal development. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah. this is a huge loaded conversation about education, but I think it's a, a valuable one to have. Mm -hmm. through the lens of, of you know, collaborative and proactive solutions because kids do well if they can. Well, we can't make them do things they can't do, academically or behaviorally. Mm -hmm. Well, and if I was to take kids do well if they can and simply alter it slightly, kids learn if they can. Kids mm -hmm. meet our ex academic expectations if they can. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. Having standards for teachers and standards for students is all well and good, but I'd rather measure improvement than yes. I would yes. um, how many kids are getting over the bar. How many kids are getting over the bar is an interesting thing to measure, and I'd want to measure that too. But I'd want to base my thoughts about how well a school is doing on where they started and where they're ending up not whether they're getting over the exact same bar as schools that have um, kids who are walking in the door, 95% of whom know they're college-bound and have parents who have that expectation, and yet 
I'm revealing my biases here, but I've worked in enough schools where they were behind the eight ball from the word go. And those schools, some of them did an incredible job with their students and had them make incredible progress, but still didn't make annual yearly progress and therefore still looked like a failing school, which I is think bogus. You just defined the, my previous statement through another lens, Ross. There's a difference between annual growth and, year, and, and a year's growth. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so a mm-hmm. year's growth is, is if a student starts at like a level C and, and we look at them reading a year later five levels higher, it doesn't matter what the end of grade level benchmark is. We just want to see that year's growth for that kid. Um, you, you just, I, I, it's difficult to explain, but you, what you just said is exactly what I meant, which is that we want to well, see Tom, a year's growth for children. Progress. It is extremely unusual for us to be agreeing with each other at the end of a program, but (laughs) it it is the end of the program, and we managed to make it through an entire program without answering a single email, but I thought this was a wonderful discussion. I want to thank you all. As always, we're done for today. Talk to you next month. See you in 2015. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.